Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 10th of February. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by CEC researcher Jeremy Beck. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, who in London is blocking a Glass-Steagall debate in the British Parliament? And the fake Bureau of Meteorology temperature records. First, who in London is blocking a Glass-Steagall debate in the British Parliament? So, Jeremy, this week something quite dramatic has happened. Um, as our regular viewers would know and first-time viewers will now explain to, uh, since the election of Donald Trump, there's been new life breathed into the global campaign for a Glass-Steagall banking separation. Just briefly mm -hmm. explain to the viewers what Glass-Steagall is. Glass-Steagall separates out banking from the speculation which we don't want from the real economy, which we do want. If, if you separate our banking, you can invest into infrastructure and productive industries. With Glass-Steagall, you separate out the commercial banking from the investment banking. The investment banking, they, they speculate. They just gamble, they play risky games and risk everyone's money. And we can't have that. We need a full separation. So we had this full separation in the United States in law from 1933 to 1999 called the Glass-Steagall Act, which is where the name comes from named after the two, the two congressmen who sponsored it. Um, and it's become synonymous with separating banking of the mm. two types that you just said. While that law was in place in the United States, the world's biggest and most important economy, there were no systemic banking crises, mm. right? Um, it was also, sh uh, it cast a shadow over the world in the sense that a lot of other places had a similar separation, either officially or unofficially. Mm. That separation got scrapped in 1999, it got repealed, and nine years later the global financial system literally melted down, and we've been in the, 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 the global economic crisis ever since, which is heading for a new crash actually. So, Donald Trump though, uh, well f first of all, Barack Obama, um, for his eight years, used his presidency to block the push to reinstate it. Because after 2008, as the dust was settling, people were going, well, that was a mistake. A lot of the bankers involved in repealing Glass-Steagall said that was a mistake, mm -hmm. right? There was a big push to reinstate it and Barack Obama used his presidency to block that push on behalf of Wall Street and the City of London. Um, however, in the last year's presidential election, the shackles were off and people on both sides, Bernie Sanders and um, uh, a candidate named O'Malley on the Democrat side and none other than Donald Trump on the Republican side campaigned for it right, campaign for a 21st century Glass-Steagall Act, and of course Trump got elected. And so our regular viewers would know that. So there's new life in this campaign now. Let's get Donald Trump to deliver on his promise for Glass-Steagall, because if he does, a lot of jurisdictions in the world would copy it. So we in Australia, in the CEC, we're a big part of that campaign. We take a global role, not just, we, we fought, fight for it hard here in Australia, but we're campaigning for it around the world. And we take a particular responsibility of um, uh, working with people in the United Kingdom mm -hmm. to get it uh, passed over there because the United Kingdom is a very important place. It's the biggest financial centre in the world. It's actually the City of London is the reason that America scrapped Glass-Steagall in the first place. Britain also had a separation until 1986 and then it was them scrapping their separation that created this, started this financial gambling stuff and became the excuse for pressure in New York and, and Washington. Oh, we've got to scrap it as well, right? However, Jeremy, you and I, having been there, 
we both know that there's a lot of support for it in mm. the UK, mm. right? Mm. So what's happened is this week, the reason we're, we're reporting it this week is our associates that we've made over there, the contacts we've made, and the people we work with closely on this, they initiated a petition into the UK Parliament, what's called an e-petition, which is potentially very effective because if it gets enough support, Parliament at 10,000 signatures, has to, the government has to respond to it. At 100,000 signatures, Parliament may debate it, mm. right? Mm. So they initiate this petition, but the petition has to be approved. And there's, a, there's a criteria to approve it. Quite a long one too. Quite a long one. Mm. And um, after two weeks of examining this and mm. referring it to the Parliamentary Library, the committee reported back and said, we don't approve this petition. Mm. And we were absolutely shocked. So first of all, just for the, here's what the, how the petition read. Pass Glass-Steagall banking separation now. The IMF, the BIS, and many financial experts are warning of a new global financial crash far worse than 2008, which will be caused by the same forces, the unbridled speculation in derivatives and outright criminal activity of City of London and Wall Street megabanks. The USA's 1933 Glass-Steagall Act, which strictly separated deposit-taking commercial banks from investment banks engaged in speculation, protected the US economy for 66 years. On top of London's 1986 Big Bang deregulation, its repeal in 1999 led to the formation of the two big-to-fail banks. Restoring Glass-Steagall is non-partisan. 445 United Kingdom MPs and Lords from all parties voted for it in 2013. Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump campaigned for it in the 2016 US election. Pass Glass-Steagall now. So very clear cut. The mm. petition's excuse was, we've said here in a press release, spurious, so spurious that it borders on fraud. They said, we reject the petition. Um, it's not clear what the petition is asking the government or parliament to do. And this, is what they, and this was why they said that. The Financial Services Banking Reform Act 2013 requires banks to ring fence the retail and investment arms of their businesses by 2019, meaning the action you have requested is already law. Clearly wrong. It's not or law. We, ring well, fencing is not Glass-Steagall, is it? Either that or we're idiots and didn't mm. know that we're... <laughs> the people who work with us in the UK didn't know they were asking for something that's already law. Because, of course... <laughs> no, you're right, Jeremy. It is clearly wrong, right? So um, one of the reasons for the benefit of our viewers that we started organising mm. in the United Kingdom on this is because we stumbled across the 2013 debates in Parliament on that bill about ring fencing. And the biggest part of the debate was all these experts, mm. MPs, who wanted Glass-Steagall saying ring fencing is not Glass-Steagall. This, this ring fencing you've given us will not work because ring fencing is keeping banks within, making them separate those types of banking but within the same bank. Mm. And they said it won't work. You've got to have a full-scale Glass-Steagall separation. That's what the debate was about in 2013. Not only that, they had a vote on that specific amendment for full separation, That's which is right. Glass-Steagall. And, the, and, it, and it almost passed. Mm -hmm. Only narrowly failed. Like we said, mm. 445 MPs voted for it. So we put out a press release on this, um, and it's in the, our latest Australian Alert service. I'll just give you one of the quotes as, a, as, a, as an excerpt from that debate um, by a gentleman who at the time was the longest serving member of the House of, Represent House of Commons, Sir Peter Tapsell, known as the father of the House. In that debate, this is what he said. What I mean by a complete return to Glass-Steagall is that we should have none of this nonsense of ring fencing, which used to be called Chinese walls. It never works. 
Chinese walls turned out to be paper mache. I worked in the city for 40 years and I promised members that it is impossible to make that work. Now, there's no, if, if the Parliamentary Library of the UK Parliament doesn't have clarity from that statement alone that what was legislated in 2013 is not Glass-Steagall, mm. then they need a new Parliamentary Library, I would, I, I would um, proffer. Mm. So anyway, here's the issue though. Um, how can they come up with such a, a bogus excuse? They are desperate not to have Glass-Steagall debated again. You've got Jamie Dimon at the moment of JP Morgan, the biggest bank in the world, running all around Washington, um, lobbying against any move by Trump to reinstate Glass-Steagall. Jamie Dimon is a big operator in, in London as well. JP Morgan's huge over there. Um, and banks of his ilk are desperate for not to come back in because they do not want to have their ability to gamble with the public's deposits taken away from them. Right? It's a big part of it. Here's the other part, though. The man who put forward ring fencing in 2013 as an alternative to Glass-Steagall, instead of Glass-Steagall, Sir John Vickers, who was the head of what's called the Independent Commission on Banking, a few weeks ago he came out and said, all this time later, our banks still are not safe. Mm -hmm. Sir Andrew Tyree, who chaired the parliamentary inquiry back then into whether he should have ring fencing or Glass-Steagall, he has said, our banks are not safe. There was a hearing in 2012 where Paul Volcker, that um, the former head of the Federal Reserve in America went and testified before the UK Parliament, in a sense to back up Vickers, and he was justifying why they didn't need to go with full Glass-Steagall back then. And if you, you can watch the hour and a half testimony on the, on the UK Parliament website with Paul Volcker, you can see it on your screen now. Um, it's so complicated, right? You can see in that testimony the seeds of why they ha nothing's been resolved today. That, Everything they've come up with to avoid Glass-Steagall is super complicated. Mm. Glass-Steagall is super straightforward. Straight down the middle, good banking there, bad banking there, good banking's protected, bad banking. We're not going to race around and try and cop, you know, monitor everything you do, but if you go broke, that's on your head. Yeah, right? and they that's speculate, they take the risks. If they want to take risks, they can that's take right. risks of their money. Don't risk everyone else's money. So, so with, with, with this acknowledgement now that there's a new crash happening and everything they've done hasn't worked, if Glass-Steagall comes up again in the context of a new debate in the United Kingdom, United States, what would possibly be the argument against it? And the bankers know that, and mm. they're determined to suppress it, and that's what's happened in the United Kingdom mm. at the moment. There's a lot of people, as we speak, Jeremy, calling into that committee, um, petitions committee, and demanding they reverse their decision. So we'll keep people updated on that as it happens. But let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to do something quite unique on this show, have a bit of a science lesson. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Well, now we're going to discuss the fake Bureau of Meteorology Temperature Records. So, just to begin, a few things to say. One, despite everything you've been told, there is a debate on climate change. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, don't believe us when we say that they're wrong necessarily, but do not believe there's no debate. Because one of the worst things about this issue is the suppression of the fact there is a debate. And the 97% of climate scientists figure you've, um, it gets banded about, look it up yourself, it's, it's absolutely bogus. Um, we could take the rest of this program alone with Jeremy reading out the list of the names of, of eminently qualified scientists who doubt this, but we won't do it because we want to get... Oh, we won't have time. We won't have time. <laughs> okay. The nub of the debate is not whether climate change is happening, 
but is CO2, and especially man-made CO2, or human-generated CO2, the driver? And the reason that's the number of the debate is because there are a lot of claims that are contradicted by the temperature records. Um, there's two, and we'll put them into two categories. There's a historical temperature record, which Jeremy's going to go through. But in a more recent one, the reason one of the reasons we want to highlight this is because um, satellite measurements from 1998 onward showed a pause in global warming, an absolute pause, which but while CO2 kept skyrocketing, mm -hmm. right? And it showed there was the, 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 the link, the causal link between CO2 and, and global warming um, was shown not to bear out, right? Mm. So this has been a huge issue. Anyway, last year, um, the scientists who promote global warming as the end of mankind, and we call them the hysterics, we're the heretics, <laughs> right? They're the hysterics. Um, the scientists who said, produced a paper just in time for the Paris Climate Conference and said, no, 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 that, that, those figures that show that pause are wrong. Here's the real figures. There has been no pause. Well, it's just emerged that that organisation that came up with that claim, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in the United States, NOAA, um, and it's called that because when the sea levels rise, as they're predicting, then they'll be the ones to survive on their boat, NOAA. <laughs> um, the, a scientist who's just retired, Dr John Bates, has blown the whistle that the people who worked on those figures to claim there was no pause deliberately chose flawed data sets to back up their claim. And you can read this in the Daily Mail of the 6th of February. Um, some people are calling it Climate Gate 2. We won't go into all that, but this is, there's, there's a pattern of this kind of manipulation of data in this debate, right? So I'll just leave that at that. What Jeremy's going to do is take um, data from our Australian Bureau of Meteorology and show on the screen with graphics how flawed a lot of their data that supposedly um, reinforces the theory of global warming is as well. Mm -hmm. You can check out the website bam.gov.au and you can get numerous maps like this one here. Uh, this particular one is uh, on the 17th of December 1912. I chose this because uh, I noticed in the records there uh, they had a quite exceptionally high temperature for Eucla, which is right down there on the very close to the border of Western Australia and South Australia, pretty close to the, the coast there on the Great, the Australian, great, Australian, Bight. great Australian Bight. Yeah. And uh, on this particular day, 17th of December 1912, uh, the maximum temperature reached 49.3 degrees. Problem is when you go to their maps, on their temperature maps, the temperature colour, and they have a whole lot of different colours to represent different the, the gradient, gradients, right. uh, it is somewhere between 24 and 27 degrees Celsius. Not 49, but between 24 and 27. Uh, so that's the Bureau of Meteorology lowering the temperature on that day by 20 degrees. Mm, yeah, it's incredible. Not even God could do that. <laughs> it's incredible. Now that Eucla station, the weather station, uh, they opened in 1876 and they've had very reliable readings. They use the, the most accurate measurements in the shade with a Stevenson screen, they call it, which uh, measures temperature without the sun getting on the bowl of mercury or whatever they use. So 
Um, that's one example. There's numerous examples. I, I, I wouldn't have time to go through them all. They in fact, use these. Just sorry, Jerry, They use these Stevenson yeah. screens today as well. This is yes, the standard. Yeah. This is standard. Standard method for measuring temperature. So, so a lot of people might think, oh, 100 years ago we, we weren't as good at it, mm. but there's the the basic technology was is the same. Oh, it is, and, and they measured it to a fraction of one degree Fahrenheit in those days. Uh, it's you'll see a picture. We'll put up one on the screen of a Stevenson screen there, and you'll see what they look like. Uh, another example, and there's numerous, but here's just a couple of examples. Uh, this one's on the 3rd of April, 1938, where uh, I noted in their tables the temperature got to 41.1 degrees Celsius. But uh, if you have a look at the map here and the colours around that area, it's pretty clear that it was between 21 and 24 degrees. Uh, you know, that, that's a massive discrepancy. And if we go back um, to some of the old papers, just to prove that it's not some you know, entry error in, yep. in the, the books, the Kalgoorlie Minor, 9th of February. What year? 1906. And they said, and they, they had a report here from the, the uh, government astronomer, uh, W.E. Cook, and the report said, Eucla, on our eastern boundary, registered 123.2 degrees, the highest ever recorded there and one of the highest records for Australia. Now, if you look that's, at... That's Fahrenheit, so what's yeah. that in Celsius? If you look at um, the tables, uh, it works out to be 50.7 degrees. Now, if you go to the Bureau of Meteorology's website, they don't go back that far. They, they've just conveniently not put those temperatures there. Um, and the, the latest records are not quite that high. Uh, now, just to make sure that uh, that Kalgoorlie Minor report wasn't just some uh, error, it was reconfirmed uh, in the West Australian, 25th of July, 1934. And this um, was by the divisional meteorologist, uh, Q. Lewis, Mr. E. B. Q. Lewis, and the report, uh, he said the highest temperature ever recorded under a Stevenson screen in Western Australia was 123.2 at Eucla in 1906. The Stevenson screen was used by all weather bureaus in the Commonwealth for securing official shade temperatures. Uh, so. so these are temperatures that are not taken into account today, but they were, mm. this is what was what was um, the CO2 level in 1906 compared to today? A fair bit lower, probably uh, uh, today it's around 400 parts per million back then. It's a bit unknown because there's a lot of different measurements, but maybe 300 and something, whatever it is, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, 300 and something parts per million. All right, let's take a break mm. and we'll finish the show with the rest of what you have to say. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing the fake Bureau of Meteorology temperature records. So please continue, Jeremy. Okay, well, there's numerous errors in these maps, but here's just another one. This, this is amazing. Uh, here we have temperatures for November 1925, and I've brought up two maps here. One, uh, we have the mean maximum temperature, that's average, uh, so for that month of November 1925. So they add up all the temperatures in each day and divide it by the number to get the average. Uh, and then the, the other is the highest maximum temperature. 
for, uh, for that November 1925. That's, that's, one, that's yeah. one day. Yeah, that's, that's the highest. So that, that's yeah. the, the highest. But the problem is, if you have a look here, uh, there's a big blob here for the mean, the average one, around about the border of Western Australia and South Australia. And that, that big blob, it's in a quite a darker colour, indicating a much, much higher temperature than the highest, which is in a lighter colour, indicating a lower. Now, that's physically impossible to have a highest temperature being higher than an average temperature. It just no, makes no, no sense. No, the highest temperature, the average temperature, sorry, yeah, sorry, being yeah. higher than that's the it. highest temperature. Yep, yeah, 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 that's it. Because in the average... Yeah, the average being higher. The, aver the average includes the highest yeah, yeah, and the yeah, lowest, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it naturally, it naturally raises the lowest and lowers the highest. That's right. But on this map, they're, they're claiming that the average temperature on, in that month is higher, was higher than, the, than highest. the highest temperature. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and of course, those and, and these averages are what gets used in the climate yeah, yeah. change data. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It just don't, makes no sense. Uh, so that's, that's one weird one. Uh, then we have another uh, picture here where you see in the earlier years in this area around Euclid that we were looking at before, uh, that wasn't just a once-off on that day. There's errors consistently, um, year in, year out, all the way through the earlier years, you see a lighter colour around that border of Western Australia and South Australia. And then in the later years, it gets darker. So uh, we know that, that that lighter colour is not true because we've seen the records. Because in 1906, that, that light yeah. spot hit 50 degrees. Yeah, Thank yeah, you very yeah. much. So no, it's just simply, that whole area is just completely way out. So that, that proves that that's wrong. Now here's another one uh, which a, um, a climate researcher, Lance Pigeon, who looked at a particular spot here in Western Australia near the border of South Australia and Northern Territory, right bang in the middle of Australia there in Western Australia. And he looked at the records on a particular day in a year. On, and the he, same he, day of the every, every year. Yeah, he picked uh, the 14th. So it would be the 14th of January 1911, the 14th of January 1912, the 14th of January 1913, so on and so forth. Um, and he did it for February, the 14th of February and so forth, and March and the whole year. And if you have a look at the patterns, they're virtually identical for each of that particular day. Now that wouldn't happen in the real world. You're not going to have identical weather temperature on just that particular day. It's yep. just inconceivable. And of course the recent years they do vary around in those maps. But for those ones they just made it up. Okay. So the question is in the time we've got left, mm. what do you think is is the the, uh, the cause here? Is it intention mm -hmm. or is it incompetence? There's there's definitely an agenda and, and the agenda is to prove that we have global warming. So scientists it's in their interest to conveniently overlook things that are inconvenient for that theory. If they've built, yeah. they built a career on that theory, mm -hmm. the, the, the late Australian mm -hmm. climate sceptic mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Carter, Dr mm -hmm. Bob Carter, mm -hmm. I mean, I saw one of his things where he, he, he talked about how, because this is a new science, this climate scientist on the global warming, mm -hmm. where he said, you know, the scientific method is you pr come up with a hypothesis and then try and disprove it. Mm. And what he didn't like about this science is they come up with this hypothesis and have spent all their time trying to prove it. Yeah, yeah that's And you've got, you got a lot of vested interest in it. Oh, yeah. um, but of course, then it leads into public policy, which gets very destructive, as we're mm. seeing now with 
you know, the renewables in South Australia and the mm. carnage that's taking on the, um, the state's industrial economy over there. We've covered all this mm. in our latest edition of the Australian Alert Service, right? So you, the viewer, if you want to know more, if you want to know the details, call in. You can order a free copy of this and read it for yourself. This is a landmark publication. It's very important to know this, these details. Call in and get a copy. But, Jeremy, thanks very much. And thanks for tuning in to this week's CEC Report. Tune in next week for more.